Good morning, Minister. How are you? Is doing all right? Yeah? I can tell some of you parents, your eyes are a little droopy, which means you're ready for your kid to go back to school. How many excited spring break is almost over? Come on. Excited about that. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time, or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I am just super excited. Today, we are actually going to wrap up a series where really over the last couple months, I've been talking to you about from the Bible what Jesus' plan is for what he's doing in and through us individually, but also as a part of a spiritual family. Super excited to, to really tie a big bow on what I believe has been an incredible series as we go into perhaps one of the most important seasons of the year where we ramp up to Easter Sunday. More people are more, are more open to the gospel than at any other time. And so I want to encourage you, even right now as we move from uh, I will build my church to Easter people next week. Be thinking right now about who you could bring. Uh, we're going to be very, very gospel-centered over the next several weeks while we take a look at different biblical characters that were affected by the Easter story, going all the way into an incredible event that our team has planned Easter Sunday. We're going to be adding services across all locations. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I have heard that there are going to be there, there are going to be Easter bunnies, not just the Easter bunny. But several Easter bunnies and lots of eggs. And so I want to encourage you, be paying attention to all the notifications coming through on your app as we ramp up to really uh, reach out in our community the next several weeks. So we are going to wrap up our series, I Will Build My Church. Our key passage is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can also download the app, follow along on notes. Uh, the scriptures will also all be up on the screen as well as the main points if you're new. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Uh, Peter, uh, Jesus actually is on a road to an area where no good Jewish person would go. He takes his disciples out of the way to what is perhaps one of the most like risque red light districts of the ancient world, a place called Caesarea Philippi. And as they're walking and the disciples are getting a little nervous, they keep looking at the signs, you know, it's like 1,500 steps to Caesarea Philippi. Then they walk for another 20 or 30 minutes and then they're like, okay, 500 steps. Okay, Jesus, this is the last exit. Before we're in this place, as they're walking through this place, Jesus begins to have a conversation with his disciples. Remember, these disciples would go on to establish the local church by which none of us would even be in this room or even be growing in our faith had Christ's work in them had not really taken root. So Jesus turns and he asks them this question. Who do people say that I am? And you can imagine a lot of people have opinions. I mean, post a question on Facebook. You'll get all kinds of opinions. Uh, post an opinion, and you'll get all kinds of hatred. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And so they start saying things like, well, you know, you know, on the Twitter, they're saying that you're a good guy. You know, but you, you go to the Insta, the Insta, plot, gram, whatever. And, you know, they're, and you know, they're, they're saying, you know, but he, you're a good teacher. You might even be a prophet. You know, there's this other place, TikTok, with Jesus. They're just saying you're, you're their homeboy, you know. But then Jesus turns and he asks the most important question, which is the foundation of our context and our relationship. He says, who do you say that you've walked with me day in and day out? You've lived really with me this entire time. You've seen what my hands do to the sick. You've seen what happens to those who don't see. You've seen those people who are mentally disturbed and having all kinds of issues and even demonically possessed. You've seen how my touch brings healing. The only thing that matters for the future of what I'm going to build is who do you say that I am? And Peter, the Bible says, influenced by the Holy Spirit. That was not always Peter's disposition. Sometimes he was uh, motivated by the devil. The Bible says that. It's just a few, but he got this one right. Motivated by the Holy Spirit, he says, you are the Messiah. 
And Jesus, to his response, says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of that understanding, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. You know, I think a lot of times, especially for believers in the world like ours, it can be tempting if we're not careful to get our focus on the darkness. You know, you can start looking at the darkness, and if you're not careful, that darkness can kind of start to push its way into your heart and really make foggy what the answers to the darkness are. But Jesus makes very clear, hey, you know what? I am the answer. He, he makes clear that only light can defeat darkness. Opinions can't defeat darkness. Right? Only light can defeat injustice. Only light can defeat all the things that ail our world. And maybe you're looking around our world and you're going, yeah, but it was, it's different today. Can I just tell you, student of history, the Roman Empire was and still remains the most wicked empire that's ever been on planet Earth. It was unbelievable how powerful this empire was. I mean, there were times where you could be standing in its epicenter in Rome, and if you've ever been to ancient Rome, I mean, some of these, these, these structures are still there. It was so grand. Much of how our cities are even built today is off of that model in Rome. I mean, it was an incredible sight to see. You could look out at this kingdom, and you would think to yourself, this nation, right, this culture, right, this, this political system, has no end. It's just so big and great. And yet I want to ask you a question. This week, while you were grocery shopping, did you happen to bump into an ancient Roman inscription? There was a time, even several thousand years before that, where the ancient people would stand in, 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 in the Babylonian city, right, and see this massive empire. Did you bump into a Babylonian at the neighborhood Walmart? The chances are you bumped into a Christian. For thousands of years, right, the darkness has been trying to snuff out what Jesus is building and has never succeeded today. Here's what we've learned in this series. It can never succeed if you and I understand God's plan for what he's building in us. We understand that he and he alone is the answer to everything that's dark in our world. And if we focus on what he's doing in us, right, and with us together in his church, there is absolutely nothing that can hold us back from the life he's called us to live. Only light overcomes the dark. As we close out our series, I want to talk to you about what I've seen in Scripture. There's a passage I'm going to read. It's rather long. We're going to base our entire message as we close on Psalm 112. And I'm going to walk you through why the church has lasted. By the way, I don't actually just... A church is only as strong as its weakest member. Might, might think about that. A family has individual members. As individual members grow, what happens to the family? It grows as well. You know, there are a lot of people in the church leadership world that are like, man, I, I want to pastor a big church one day. And you know what my life message is? Build big people, big people build a big church. I wasn't thinking about Liberty Hill until we started building people. But then some people said, hey, we're starting to think about Liberty Hill. Why don't we go there? Bell, why don't we go there? Why don't we do this? Why don't we expand there? Hey, I can take that problem. Hey, we can do this event. Does that make sense? At the end of the day, as each one of us understand these principles, it not only affects our own life, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to zero in on this idea of legacy. What is a church that lasts? What's it look like? Because it does last, and contrary to rumor, of God doesn't revolve around us, we revolve around Him. And so it's what He's building, and so we want to get around what He's building 
to see it last. Psalm 112, 1 through 9 says this. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. Wow. Think about John chapter 1. It's written they are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. They will. That those who are righteous will be what? Long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless, fear, fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Look at this. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence in awesome. You know, I, I love this passage, this quote from Mother Teresa, that I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the water to create any river. You're taking notes, I want you to write this down, it won't be on the screen, but I want to I want to zero in on what, what I mean when I say the word legacy. A lot of things attached to that. I don't mean dynasty. That's certainly not dynasty. I don't actually even mean somehow you building monuments to yourself that will outlast you like the Romans did. Here's what legacy is. Legacy is the future without you, but still influenced by you. Legacy is the future without you, that's still influenced by you. What we're going to do is we're going to learn several things about a church that lasts. I believe personally, as we break down this Psalm 119 passage, you might even zero in on something that you could lean into. I'm going to give you a lot of things. I would encourage you, don't try to apply them all at once if you're missing all of them. Just start with one thing and focus on that in this season of your life. What does a church that lasts look like? What does a Christian whose influence lasts far beyond that? What well, the church that lasts lives fiercely. Right that, that passage. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Now, when you look at this part of the passage, those almost seem like opposites. Okay, so you can fear, but then you can delight at the same time. By the way, fear of the Lord does not mean fright of the Lord. It is not the same as, like, you know, when a bee starts buzzing around my wife's head. She's never, ever been stung, so she has no idea what's going to happen, what it feels like. And the fear of the unknown, I mean, I'm literally, you know, board-certified physician, powerful woman of God. Okay, it's not that kind of fear. You know, I think a lot of people grow up and they have this unhealthy fear of God, this sinner in the hands of an angry God, that's not what the fear of the Lord means. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection to harm. You know, the fear of the Lord is both loving God and respecting Him. It's loving Him and knowing that He would never lead you somewhere He had not already been. One of the names uh, for God is omnipresent, which means He's everywhere all at once. It means he's in your past, even though you've moved on, and he's in your future, even though you're not there yet. Meaning that when he tells you to do something now, you can absolutely trust him because he knows way more than you. 
That's what it means. Loving and respecting God is to fear God. I love God as Heavenly Father, but I respect Him as righteous judge. I love God because He's full of grace, but I respect that He's also full of truth. You see, it's holding God with an open hand. Fear of God is not a bad thing. It's actually the best thing. It's what believers need today more than probably anything else. And it's what it, it's why you know a Christian and the ancient empires of old have passed away. Did you know that the greatest evidence that you fear God is that you obey God? Jesus said this way, if you love me, you'll obey my you know, it's not just knowing about God. It's not just mentally assenting to God. Living fearfully is saying no matter what, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to live my life according to his word. I'm going to tell you, churches that hold that, they are not in the decline. You know, you have this, this narrative going on right now in mostly dying traditional denominational churches who refuse to let go of their traditions to maybe embrace something in the future. But here's what you'll also see. Churches, entire denominations that start to pass away on the gospel. Who do you say that I am? That who Jesus is, what his word says is true, those churches are all in the decline. And by the way, that's what you hear about. It. Entire denominations are splitting. Won't be here in the next 50 years, even though they've been here the last few hundred. However, there's a whole other movement of churches. You might call them non-denominational. Right? That are saying, no, we're still going to hold God's word. We're not going to Bible thump people, but we're going to put it in our hearts and we're going to actually obey. What does that mean? We're going to live fearfully. We're going to live fearfully because ultimately we're going to stand and give an account to God. I think something else you do, not only does a church that last live fearfully, but they also think generationally. They think generationally. This has really been lost in our culture, but look at this part of the passage. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Their children will be successful. What does a parent do? You know what the, one of the best things you can do for your kids? I'm just going to, I'm going to hand it. We have this uber, crazy entitling. By the way, ultimately, as a parent, you will not be able to keep your kids. Okay, look at the world. There are people that are actually saying, I don't know if I want to bring kids into this. World. That's the most selfish thing ever. And it also lets you completely off the hook and, and, and you know one of the best things you can do for your kids like you need to protect them from the big things that they might talk about be careful in front of them you know, be, you know pay attention to you know anyway you can google all that but ultimately your job ultimately is you're only keeping them saved in as far as you can prepare them for this great thing and so when you think generationally here's what you do you think longitudinal. You think out, right? You, you think it's not just about me and mine, but it's about what comes after. This passage is, is incredible because it's actually telling us what came before this generation. What has to proceed for the revival we all really are crying out to God for is us taking responsibility in our own homes for raising up the next generation. Very important. You know, in a couple, a few months, we're going to the summer, I'll be celebrating 30 30, I'll be 38 years old. I know, I know. And you know, I'm going to talk just a minute to those who are older and those who are younger. For those who are older, did you know that there's not one verse in the Bible that tells you to check out and go play golf? You know what the biblical word for retirement is? Death. 
this one, not the, not the last one. All right, but the first one. It means you take in your last breath, you exhale, and you have retired. I believe that we need, we, I, I know we, we absolutely need you. You know, the pastor, especially a pastor, a pastor's in a military town. I've often described Parker High Cemetery and forgive me. You know, it, I said, imagine you pastor in a college town. College age is about 18 to 25 years old. Except instead of them just going to college, you give them a gun and a mission, right? You throw on a wife and then toss them a baby and deploy them every other year. Well, y'all know what I'm talking about. That's clear. That's a lot. Do you know what our community needs more? People who survive that. <laughs> People who will step up and go, you know what? I may not always feel appreciated. They may not be playing the music that I just dive to. I'm sorry, guys, we're not going black, back to bluegrass. Get over it. It's gone. My point is, you might have to put down some of your preferences to say, you know what? Maybe the last 10, 20, or 30 years of my life, I can make a bigger impact generation than I did. Does that make sense? Very, very important. To the younger, I would say, you're not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today. So start acting like By the way, it's what Paul told Timothy. I'm sure Timothy's seen him a letter time. There's all these people that are crazy. You didn't tell me the sheep would bite. You didn't tell me a lot of the sheep. A lot of the wolves look just like sheep. But you didn't tell me any of this. And then you just left on your journeys. And I'm trying to figure this out, Paul. What did Paul say to Timothy? Do not let them fight. What did he say? Get all woke and tell them what you deserve? No. He said, you live like they do. You step up and you take their place. They need a greeter. Guess what? You go greet. They need to help back in my, that's our whole truth ministry philosophy, by the way. You will find out about it. If you're not the leaders of tomorrow, you're the leaders of today. The best thing you can do is own that, step up and do it. You've got to think generation. I think the next thing is we've got to shine brightly. That's what it says. Light shines in the darkness for the God. It's like everyone else is just kind of roaming around with no direction, but not the God. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Jesus came to turn off the dark. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. Where does the light shine the brightest? In the darkness. The best thing we do as a church is it to curse the darkness. There are times you need to make stands. There's times you need to be an example. There's times, especially as believers, you need to be instructed how to deal with issues. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day, the best thing you can do to fight off the darkness. Matthew 4.14, 4, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before us. They may see your good works and give you credit on infinity. They may see your good works and think you're really, really great. No, it says, you know what happens when they see you? Like, you know where you came from. And you need to be in there. They look at you and they go, what's different? Nobody's asked you that. My, my encouragement to you, you might want to take the foot you have in the world and try to make everyone happy, and you might go back to point one for knowing the energy of God. What happens when they praise God? That's what happens, by the way, for those who are saying, right? 
touches the community he's never touched with. He came forth and he was Christian, lit by that torch. How is that looking in his life? The next thing is a church that laughs, walks in confidence. I have never seen so much unnecessary apologizing in my life. Unbelievable. You know what the word gaslight means? Don't let people gaslight you. Sin is the problem in the world. Not the church and not you. Not Christ working. You may not be fully developed yet. You may be fighting off some stuff still. But the reality is don't let people gaslight you. By the way, here's what I mean. Don't apologize when you really don't mean it. That's what it means. It's very, very important. You're going to learn to walk confidently. Look, such people will not be overcome by evil. You guys do know, like, we are living a frequency. All the anxiety surrounding, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? It's already been sealed. All we have to do is walk it out in our day. And we already know how the story ends. I, I don't know about you, but, but, but I get this way when I'm watching movies that have a lot of suspense, especially, I, I just, listen, I don't go pay somebody and watch a movie like the artistic ending where everybody dies in some deep, deep, reflective moment. I, I don't like those movies. Like, I was super ticked off at the end of Six Minutes. I don't like it. Or A Beautiful Mind. Sorry. Great movie up until the end. I don't like it. My point is, I, I, I'll literally be with my wife and it'll get really suspenseful. And I'll start to get really anxious. I like to go like that. <laughs> really anxious. And I'm just like, you know what? Just Google. I want to know how it is. Do they die? If I know they don't die, I'll finish the movie. If they die, we're done. She does, doesn't it? It happens. That, you realize, like, Jesus wins. Jesus wins, not democracy. Jesus wins, not politics. Jesus wins, not nation. Jesus wins, not peace. Are you following me? So, so we should be able to walk confidently. To own those things we need to own. And there are some things we need to own in their purpose. You can't own what's not good. I had a pastor friend who just moved into it. Cut, cut kind of fire years ago, probably over a decade ago. Where he observed some, some really hateful people in certain communities. And he set up this booth in a parade where he just apologized on behalf of. That's not how apology works. You know that? It looks really spiritual. It's kind of like he's apologizing for everything he did. Right? You know the best way you can shine a light is take you, stop caring about your rights and start taking your responsibility. When you see injustice, deal with it. Say it. Take the courage. In that moment, by the way, it costs you a lot more than your little post on Facebook. We need to move away from virtue signaling and actually be virtuous. How do you do that? You take responsibility. You see racism, you call it out right there. You see classism, you call it out right there. You see something that's not right, take the courage and stand up and call it out. Here's what I will say. Stop taking responsibility for things that aren't you, but in its place, take responsibility for the things that aren't. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, the next is a church that lasts. I got six minutes. You guys are all right. Baptists don't even get to and, and, and we're feeding you lunch if you haven't done the new members event at 12.30. So you'll be fine. The next is a church that lasts, a church that lasts, trust completely. 
They do not fear bad news. Oh, this might be no. They don't ask me, do you want the good news or bad news? They know what I'll say first. And it ain't good news. I said, just get the bad news out. Just get it out. Just be honest. By the way, this is relational very healthy. Being honest in your relationships hurts in the short term, but being dishonest in them will destroy it. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust in the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Confident and fearless. They can face their foes triumphantly. We had a pastor pray and he said, they have a humble resolve. Humble resolve. Faith is not found in what you're believing for. Faith is found in who you now, who do you believe? Who do you, put your, who do you put your faith in when all of your plans don't count? Where do you go in your heart and mind, right, when you don't get your way? Right before I got fired for the third time uh, from a church, growing up, bad attitude really. Only the third one was too honest. Nobody else would come fly. It's like, I'm not qualified. Don't come. not qualified. Get a Bible. You really have there was, I'm bragging about God said, wait. What do you do when God is reading the word? Maybe the solution to your problem work. Problem in your marriage. Maybe the issue with your family. Maybe just a spoonful of And it works like this. you got to trust completely. Trust that your story, even right now, even if it's really, really bad, like, your life is now. Like, you can't live in the past. Because right? you can't, un- listen, you can't rework the past anymore. You can untransform it. It's just the past. God's redeeming that the problem. Okay? And you're never in the future. So worrying constantly Constantly, but where you're at, robs you in the present. What? Trust God completely. If you're walking through a season, guess what? Season ends. If you're walking through a phase that hasn't ended, you're not changing. You need to change. Does that make sense? Then the season can end. I think a lot of times it's more important who you're becoming than what you're doing. So they're connected. But I think as believers, to trust God and to literally go, I don't, this doesn't feel good right now, but I know that you're good, and that if I don't quit, I can't quit. And so I'm going to trust you. I don't know who that's for. I didn't Anyway, number six. A church that laughs. The life that influences past time shares freely. They share freely. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord, and 
everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, I, have, I, I know a lot of uh, believers because um, it's the, it's the age-old thing to do part of a heart gets attached to the gift. Uh, what's the most irritating thing for a parent at Christmas time? It's when they're opening presents. First of all, they play with the box. They have their pack. Very Paper with kids. Then they get older. And they start arguing with the siblings. What is a parent? I own all of those toys. My kids, they're tenants that don't pay rent. Think about this from God. Everything in your life that you have, and you have a lot more. You, have a lot, you think you have nothing? You think you're at the bottom of your own You are. We live in one of the softest times of all And I know there's some negative things going on. I know there's some stuff. Uh, by the way, you've never But the truth is, God's been pretty good. God's been pretty good. Pretty good. And if we remember it's always His, we're able to live with the Bible says, But the one who gives up their life for me, lives the life of the only person that says, Okay, but here's what happens when you're the man. One person is not the man for everyone. You're a codependent man. But if you'll stay connected and still live open handed, you know what happens is not only is what's in your hand but what you need and Although one need, like all deep needs aren't made aren't met by one person, all needs are met. You've got to learn to share. And then finally, you've got to learn to give. give, give, give. Look what it says. They, and they don't just share, but they also give. There's, a, there's an idea of sacrifice. Share is kind of like, I have enough to go around. Give is kind of like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen when that leaves my hand, and I may need that for something else. But I know that I've never had less when I've given. No. Giving is one of the most eternal things before he hindered, he said this, the measure of a life after all is not as courageous as the donation. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said about it. By the way, at least we forget Dr. King is not an activist. He's a pastor behind the He said this about the reason Levi asked, if I stop to help this man, what will happen? They were thinking about how it would inconvenience them. But the Good Samaritan asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? By the way, I, I mentioned this when we started. To be a church that lasts, you've got to be a church that lives open-handed. That's what it's all about. It's turning, looking at those people, places and spaces in their lives that need some life, and it's engaging the mission of God. Engaging what it, what it means to actually share and be generous to those. By the way, you're going to have lots of opportunities to do that. I want to 
even right now, we did this. We're going to close out. We move into this next season of great harvest of We don't fish for fish. People who need God, like we need God. I want to encourage us always keep our hearts focused on the idea that, that to be a church that honors God God, I thank you so much for the power of your Lord. Thank you, God, for the I pray right now, Father, that we round out this series. And we've got such a foundation of what it looks like biblically to be a church. One of us is not the church, but together the church. One of us doesn't shine the brightest light, but our light shines brightest. Father, you call them salt and light in the world, giving preservatives with the lives around us, but also Father, shining light and darkness and light all the way I pray God to bring this week to keep and move into this next phase and stage of your continue the turn of your life and also together. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. I believe that um, one of the most important things Every single we provide moments in the service, place, and space for people who are far from God. Maybe you're in here far from God. Maybe at one point in your life, you gave your life to Christ, made a decision or commitment. Maybe you even sort of took steps, but your eyes got off heart, lost your name, threw out your ideas. I looked at your life today, maybe at one time you followed Christ. You want to make that right. Maybe you're in here and you've never, ever given your life to Christ. Maybe you've tried all kinds of things. It doesn't work. I will tell you, I will You will never be old. His resurrected life and have life. From that decision, that decision, confession is simply an act of free will. Saying, you know what? I'm going to get off the throne of my life. And I'm going to put you in there. If you're in here today, after the heart of God, would you pray for confession? I'm not going to bear it. I'm not going to single you out. I'm going to But I do think it's important between you and God and you and God. I don't want to call that you would put your hand up halfway. We're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Matter of fact, everyone next to you, you God, prayer I think you need to understand the kingdom of God. It's not a tyrant, it's not a fool, it's not a fool. You've got to make that decision for your own mouth. You've got to make that decision. That's it. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Maybe you're going to pass. I want to encourage you as I lead you in prayer. Prayer. 
speak with the church. There's a lot of them here in the field. Others around the land cloud. But I want you to allow the words that you speak not to be repetition of what I'm leading you to, but to actually like be an expression of life for you. I believe on the other side of this prayer, this moment, this place and space, God's going to give you a step. We're going to give you steps. But I believe that as you start to take steps further from you, you might be First, you've got to start. You've got to start with the first step. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's all pray this together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying for the cross. I believe that you are God. I believe that you are God. I believe on the third day, after you were saved, I believe you raised dead. I believe you defeated death so that I can have life. Today, Today, I'm making my word, my faith, my Today, Everybody say. Come on, church, let's put our hands together.